0: Sup, Thrill Seekers? I'm Dev.
1: And I'm Connor, and you're listening to Mass Hysteria.
0: Seekers, so welcome to episode eight, right? You guys probably hopefully enjoyed episode seven and a half. Um, and I can't believe we're already at epi eight, which means only 92 more episodes until a hundred. Oh, what a special way
1: to remember it, Dev.
0: Okay, so Connor, when I say the word jolly, what comes to mind?
1: Is this a trick question?
0: No, 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 genuinely it's not. Maybe Santa comes to mind or a sweet grandmother. Or your beautiful best friend, but likely not a serial killer nurse.
1: Nope, you got me there. I did not think about a serial killer nurse. Today's episode, ladies and gents, we are digging into the case of Jolly Jane, the serial killer nurse.
0: We have a lot to cover today. So grab a snack. Or
1: don't, if it makes you nauseated to eat before the story of a serial killer.
0: Very true. Protect yourself, you know. Do what's best for you. You know yourself best. But whatever you choose to do while listening buckle up because this is a crazy tale thrill seekers and i don't want to speak for you connor but i think this is my favorite epi epi we've done right
1: uh i think so this is this is pretty crazy this is pretty crazy honora kelly was born to two irish immigrant parents bridget and peter kelly in 1857. we've had a streak of time in the mid-1800s recently haven't we
0: yeah we inadvertently seem to choose themes (laughs) anyway so honora kelly such an irish name She went by Nora, and she had three other sisters, but lost her mother shortly after she was born. Bridget Kelly had died by consumption, which is another way of saying that she had tuberculosis. Main takeaway here, though, is that now Peter Kelly was a widower with four children.
1: So Peter was a local tailor, sewing clothes day in and day out. Soon after, though, Peter began to exhibit signs of insanity and became the subject of ludicrous ludicrous and embellished stories. In the book Fatal, The Poisonous Life of a Female Serial Killer, Harold Schechter writes that Kelly was a chronic drunk, prone to violent outbursts and so wildly eccentric that his neighbor's nickname for him was Kelly the Crack, as in Crackpot.
0: Oh, that's so weird. We call you Connor the Crackpot. We do,
1: we do. Um, in later years, he would become the subject of bizarre legends. According to the most colorful of these, he eventually went insane and while working in the tailor shop, sewed his own eyelids shut.
0: When I read that, I wanted to throw up. Remember when Blockbuster was a thing?
1: Of course I do. Good report cards mean free movies. I mean, I wouldn't know, but...
0: You were like, I'm, I would go to school just for that part. I didn't
1: get per- report cards
0: um well true it was a great perk they used to offer report well,
1: cards or um, yeah i
0: lived for the report cards <laughs> what a great
1: perk big um, school
0: on one report card i it said that i asked too many questions
1: just mm. let that sink in <laughs> I,
0: i'm in school how do you ask too many questions in
1: school <laughs> I, can, um, I can see it <laughs> uh,
0: can i go to the bathroom can i go to the bathroom again um well anyway so i remember i was at blockbuster uh, we used to go like i think every weekend And one of the aisles, there was a movie cover and the main character had like their mouth and their eyelids sewn shut. And I have no idea to this day what movie it is. If you know what movie it is, please do not tell me because it still gives me nightmares when I think about it. But it used to spook me every time I walked by the aisle. Like I was like 10 years old and was like, oh my God, she has sutures in her her lips and her eyelids.
1: Mm, Yep. Not even going to allow myself to imagine that scenario. Thrill seekers, we've barely even dived into this. So buckle up.
0: After Peter Kelly was sent to an asylum, he begged the Boston female asylum to take his two youngest daughters, Delia and Nora, to be taken care of. The BFA, as it was called, raised many abandoned female children, and when they saw the condition that Nora and Delia were in, like poor hygiene, obviously neglected, they took them in very quickly. There are no specific reports to substantiate exactly what happened to Nora and Delia while they were under the care of their father, but it's believed that they were extremely abused and mistreated.
1: A woman named Anne Toppin and her husband took Nora into their home, where she was effectively an indentured servant for the family as she grew up. At the age of five, her name was changed to Jane, and she took on the last name of Toppin, which is the family name. Jane, as we will now refer to her, was a smart young girl who was often jealous of Mrs. Toppin's biological daughter, Elizabeth.
0: So Delia, Jane's sister, um, who was also like left at BFA, didn't quite fare as well as Jane. It's believed that Delia eventually became addicted to alcohol and resorted to working on the streets as a prostitute, which is really sad, of course.
1: I think the case of Jane Toppin is an interesting one that explores the ideas of nature versus nurture. So it's important to remember that her father was mentally ill. One of her older sisters, Nellie, was also institutionalized around the age of 20. While nobody should ever feel bad about any mental health issues running in their family it's important to note that two people in jane's immediate family already showed signs of extreme mental illness
0: of course this was the late 1800s so not all stories can be verified about her early life but one story says that jane had once been courted by a young man who lived in lowell um and like he worked near where the family uh resided in Lowell. And the two eventually became engaged. So he gave her a ring, of course. It it was said to like have a small kind of bird shape to it, but before they married, he fell for his landlord's daughter, so he broke off the engagement with Jane. And Jane was so angry that she hit the ring with a hammer until it shattered into tiny pieces.
1: Is it bad that I don't think that's too crazy of a reaction? I'm I mean what? Uh, Regardless to your take on the engagement, this visceral reaction suggested that Jane had a bit of a darker side. However, this does not even begin to allude to the kind of crimes that Jane would commit later in life.
0: Jane struggled with her identity and where she fit in in the world. While her parents were both Irish immigrants, Jane would not shy away from denouncing the Catholic Church or making anti-Irish jokes as a way to forge her own identity. Her classmates, and we'll later see people she worked with, had very polarizing reactions to Jane. Jane. Some found her endearing and sweet, while others caught on to her web of lies and the ones that she was spinning. Well, now we're not psychologists or trained mental health professionals, but some of these reports sound like Jane may have been depressed. She was quickly, she quickly put on weight when she feared that she would never find somebody to marry.
1: At age 18, Jane was given $50 for her time serving the Toppin family, which she was there since the time she was like under five.
0: But it's, like, the late 1800s. I, I don't okay. know.
1: Okay, I mean, fine, the late 1800s. But I know. I mean, that's They're so like, crazy. I don't know.
0: Here's $50 for your years and years of Yeah, that's, and years like, I mean, servitude. what?
1: Even, the, even if it's the equivalent of, like, $20,000, that's all you get for all of those years of your life? Anyway, uh, sidetracked there. Um, so she was released from her duties, but she actually ended up staying with the family for the next 10 years. Eventually, Anne passed away, and Jane worked for her daughter, Elizabeth. Once Elizabeth married, though, Jane decided she wanted to pursue a new career.
0: Jane was in her mid-20s. Oh my god, so are we. But anyways, she was in her mid-late 20s when she decided that she wanted to work as a nurse.
1: So Jane began to train at um, Boston Cambridge Hospital. It was here that Jane earned her nickname, Jolly Jane.
0: Her patients, though, were the ones that thought of her this way. The fellow nurses, well, they were a bit more skeptical. They found Jane to be quite cunning, always interested in gossip. And you know what they say, if it quacks like a duck, it's a duck.
1: Apparently
0: she liked to drink and gossip. Hmm, sounding like somebody I know in this room. (laughs) The duck's over there, people.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Duck rhymes with... Just kidding. Um, Jane started using her powers not for good, but for experimentation. She was known for experimenting with the medications of her patients, often resorting to morphine and atropine.
0: Morphine is an extremely addictive drug. One that is used for very severe pain. Do you know what atropine is used for? I don't. I, I actually like, had never heard of it before this happy. No. Apparently, it's used to dilate your pupils and help with swelling and inflammation in the eye. Huh. So Jane liked to use it because, you know, when you administer morphine, it, you're kind of like slowly losing consciousness. But... When she would administer atropine, the patient would like immediately produce a reaction.
1: Jane's little little experiments were certainly not innocuous. If she wanted a patient to stay longer, she would switch the medications administered to make them sicker. She could manipulate patients the other way as well, making them really sick initially, just to show a stunning, miraculous recovery later. It is believed that she had killed over a dozen patients by this time.
0: It's hard to understand how Jane did not get uh, like caught on to earlier but when you think about it she chose her patient population well she spent most of her time working with the elderly if if 12 children died in a short span of time it would probably be more alarming and raise more red flags than if a slew of elderly patients died after having serious and invasive surgeries
1: yeah that's a really good point that being said though her fellow nurses did not seem did seem to smell that something was off Jane had lied about her credentials to get in, and some even believed that she might be stealing at work. Which kind of makes sense. I mean, she's probably getting more Oh, fees. she has this
0: $50 when she's starting out.
1: <laughs> For sure. I mean, less than that now. Um, if, her fellow nur- if her fellow nurses didn't like her, though, it really didn't matter in this grand scheme of things. The doctors didn't catch on to her, her act, and that's what mattered most.
0: While many patients died under Jane's watch, which we'll dive into shortly, one patient named Amelia Finney Lived to tell her tale.
1: According to Crime Reads, Amelia had, quote, an ulcer in her uterus, and she'd come to the hospital to have it removed, which meant at the very end of the 1800s, burning the ulcer off with silver nitrate. That would be very that painful sounds and invasive. Horrible. I mean, can you imagine? After the procedure, the doctors put Amelia in a bed to rest, but she couldn't rest. The pain was too bad.
0: After eventually dozing off, Amelia awoke to Jane standing over her Eerily close and very alert. That is hands down one of my worst nightmares. Like somebody freaking watching me sleep. Yeah, no thank you.
1: Note to self, stand over devs, bed at night. I mean, I mean what?
0: So, of course, Mrs. Finney was startled and the pain had caught up to her by the time she was awake. She begged Jane to bring her in a physician, but Jane assured her that it was unnecessary. Instead, she raised Mrs. Finney's mouth to a glass and told her, here, drink this.
1: And it was Pedialyte, thank God. (laughs) <laughs> okay i'm being facetious we're not actually sure what the cocktail was made of but it was enough to knock mrs finney out
0: well almost enough mrs finney was not totally unconscious after drinking the liquid though it did make her feel as if she were in a dream state and while she lay there nearly slipping out of consciousness she felt the bed sheets rustle and the cot squeak oh my God! there was a tiny mouse <laughs> on her bed and it was jolly jane <laughs> um no but actually jolly jane crawled into bed with her was lying <laughs> next to her opening her eyelids to see her dilated pupils and kissing her face. Holy
1: crap. Did she say anything about this to the doctors the next day?
0: No, um, and she said it was because for fear that she had dreamed it or like that it was all in her head. So if you had just had an invasive surgery and you were like doped up and you thought the nurse was trying to make out with you, I could see why you (laughs) might have reservations about reporting that.
1: Okay, fair point, fair point. Jane received high praise from the doctors that she worked under, and she was given the opportunity to expand her training at Mass General Hospital. If you've ever been to Boston, you know it's really renowned for its medical care, with MGH being a very prestigious place to get to work and to gain experience with in the medical profession.
0: Her stint at MGH did not last long, though. She left the ward without permission one day and was dismissed from the hospital entirely. Um, She worked in the interim as a private nurse before eventually returning to Cambridge, which, if you remember, is where she started.
1: Her behavior was starting to catch up to her, though. Um, The staff started to catch her reckless doping of patients, and she was eventually dismissed due to the fact that it was believed she was just willy-nilly giving out opiates. And remember, these are very addictive medications to be mishandling.
0: This was not the end of her nursing career, though. Jane left the mainstream hospitals in the area and began working as a private nurse full-time, which is, I think, way more dangerous than having her working in a hospital because now she's oh, yeah. no, not regulated. No checks and balances. Um, and this is when Jane began her poisoning rampage, if you will.
1: So in his book, Outlaw Women, Robert Barr Smith writes, quote, Jane was well on her way to reaching her ambition simply to, quote, kill more people, helpless people, than any man or woman before her, end quote. That's a super chilling quote, if you ask me.
0: Imagine if that was in, like, a high school yearbook. Anyway, um, in 1895, when she was in her late 30s, Jane began to poison people that she knew in her life. Her first victim, Israel Durham. Israel was the landlord to the building she lived in. He also lived there with his wife, Lovey. Jane first poisoned Israel, and we'll get into the details about how she poisons people soon. But she first poisoned him, and then after his death, She moved in with his widow for the next one to two years. Why'd they stop living together? Well, Jane poisoned Lovey, too.
1: So remember Elizabeth Toppin, Jane's foster sister, of whom she was jealous? Well, Jane decided to visit Elizabeth at her vacation home on the Cape, where she slowly poisoned her with strychnine, which in case you were not in the extermination business or didn't love Anna Green Cables like myself as a child. I mean...
0: I haven't read it or seen it, so.
1: You can be wrong. Um, So anyway, strychnine, it's a toxic substance, and it's often used to kill rodents and small pests. As if killing her sister was not enough, Jane also convinced Elizabeth's husband that her dying wish was to give Jane some ornate gold jewelry that she had.
0: Um, when we were doing the practice read, Connor said, that's a great way to poison a sibling. I would just like to throw that <laughs> with, out in the universe. In case you're listening well, and you're related to him, watch him
1: Because it's for pests.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and what's the ultimate pest? A sibling.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: Um, well, she's so she's very conniving. And in the same year, a patient named Mary McClear was recommended to Jane's care by her doctor. And so shortly after working with her, Jane poisoned her as well. Previously, Jane had targeted people she knew Like, well, her sister, the landlord, and Mary was random in that sense. Some speculate that Jane may have wanted to rob her or that she used money as a motivation for the
1: killing. So if you think we're getting close to the end here, you're wrong. Jane had befriended a woman named Elmira Connors. Mira worked as a matron at St. John's Theological School. So when Mira suffered from peritonitis, which is a blood infection, she quickly asked Jane to be her nurse. She didn't live much longer after this, though. And if you think that sounds terrible, Jane wasn't even finished yet. At Mira's funeral, Jane told Mira's boss that her dying wish was for Jane to assume her position at the school. Right there, at her freaking funeral, Jane was hired as Mira's replacement. The little adventure did not last too long, though, as Jane was fired within the year for her lack of experience.
0: After losing this job, Jane lived in Cambridge with the Beatles. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Um... Melvin, and Eliza Beadle. She would toy with poisoning them, often giving them just enough to make them sick, but not enough to fully kill them.
1: She was sneaky, though. By giving their housekeeper lower doses of morphine, she appeared drunk and was fired from her job working with For the Beatles. And if you're guessing that Jane jumped at the opportunity to take over, she absolutely did.
0: This part of the story is where Jane's crazy actions began to catch up to her. Remember the cape house that Elizabeth vacationed in? Well... Jane had vacation there as well, enough to rack up a $500 bill. Mary Davis, who went by Maddie, um, she owned the house, and so she decided that she would drive to Cambridge herself to collect the outstanding money. When she got there, Jane offered her a glass of water, and the water was contaminated.
1: (gasps) They offered her a seltzer?
0: No, not quite as bad. But the water was laced with morphine. Maddie began getting very sick, and Jane played with her, administering just enough morphine to make her lucid. The kind of cat and mouse game.
1: That's crazy.
0: She went into a coma and when the doctor arrived, Jane passed it off that Maddie was a severe diabetic who ate too much cake. I relate. Yeah. That's how Connor and I are going to (laughs) go. The doctor did not suspect a thing. Eventually, Maddie died at the hands of Jane. Her death was ruled to be the result of heart failure.
1: So my question with all of this is how is she hoarding so much morphine without looking suspicious? Is she just taking a little bit here and there, or did they not monitor these sources closely? Like, I'm a bit perplexed. Can
0: you imagine if she had a TikTok? It'd be like, "Don't be suspicious. <laughs> don't be suspicious." She's like grabbing little, little syringes of morphine. Oh um, but don't worry too much because we are actually setting the scene for how Jane was eventually taken down. So Maddie had been married to Alden Davis, and together they had two children. Genevieve, who in some places you'll see she went by Annie, but we're going to call her Genevieve, and then Mary, who went by Minnie. Both were married, but Genevieve, the youngest, had been staying with her father after the death of her mother.
1: So after Maddie's sudden passing, Jane then moved in to help her grieving widower. It was here that Jane poisoned Genevieve with morphine, just as she had her mother. There was a twist, though. In order to avoid anyone growing suspicious of her, Jane framed the scene to look like it was a suicide. And she left a syringe in the bathroom to suggest that Genevieve had killed herself with Paris Green, which is a powerful rodent and insect killer.
0: She had killed half the family at this point and set her eyes on the next target, Alden. Jane was able to make it appear that grief had overtaken him. He died less than two weeks after Genevieve, no doubt as a result of Jane and her morphine tricks.
1: So this left the last Davis daughter, Minnie, who had taken on the last name of her husband, which was Gibbs. Minnie died shortly after her sister, as Jane did not want to leave any living family members.
0: After her poisoning streak in Cambridge, Jane moved back to Lowell in an attempt to woo her sister's former husband, Orimal Brigham. Her jealousy took an interesting turn when she poisoned Orimal's sister, Edna Bannister, whom she felt was just getting in the way of her getting close to her her crush.
1: I'm not laughing, but like this is just just so bizarre. It is so bizarre. The jealousy
0: is like, you can't even have siblings.
1: And just her whole like thought process, like to be in her head. Can you imagine?
0: Can you imagine if um, you knew 30 people that mysteriously died? Like, I I understand that they're catching on and, like, it took a while, but, like, (laughs) she's really lucky she didn't live in the age of social media.
1: (laughs) She is? Jeez. The real hero in this story is actually Captain Paul Gibbs. He was Minnie's father-in-law. He hired Leonard Wood, the best toxicologist in New England, and had the bodies exhumed so that he was able to perform full autopsies. Paul asked Leonard for his help while Leonard was vacationing on Cape Cod. Um, people were beginning to catch on that something didn't seem quite right here. An entire family had been wiped out in less than two months, and it all seemed to happen right around the time that Jane was hired by the family.
0: Jane was still in Lulal, though, trying to win over Oromal. Um, she even tried to poison him enough that she could nurse him back to health. When this attempt was futile, Jane was rejected by him once again, and she, over- she took a strong enough dose of morphine to land herself in the hospital.
1: After Jane was released from the hospital, she fled to New Hampshire to stay with her friend Sarah Nichols. And while in New Hampshire, Jane was arrested for the murder of Minnie Davis.
0: Jane was held in jail until her trial a few weeks later. Jane pled guilty to all charges. After the bodies had been exhumed and autopsies completed, they showed high levels of arsenic. The defense thought they had found a gold mine. Jane must have poisoned the family with arsenic.
1: Whether she had actually used arsenic to poison the family, though, became incredibly hard to prove. It turns out that arsenic is a common ingredient in embalming fluid, and the mortician who prepared the bodies of the Davis family confirmed this. The trial was now at a standstill.
0: And here, Thrill Seekers, is where our hero, Captain Paul Gibbs, enters the story once again. In the book Fatal, Harry uh, Schechter writes... No sooner had the reporter introduced himself than Gibbs, who hadn't seen a paper in several days, eagerly asked for the news about Professor Wood's analysis. The young man's reply, that massive amounts of arsenic had been found in both uh, Genevieve and Captain Gibbs' um, daughter-in-law Minnie, left the old sailor deeply troubled. Bowing his head, he stood silently for several moments, so deep in thought that he seemed to have forgot about the reporter. When the latter finally asked him, like, what's wrong, Captain Gibbs? He shook his head and replied, I'm surprised to hear that arsenic was detected in the bodies. I suspected that they had been poisoned, but I didn't think that Jane Toppin would use anything as easily detected as arsenic. And Captain was on to something. Why he knew so much about strong narcotics is unknown to us, but Gibbs proposed that Jane had been using morphine and atropine as a way to poison her victims. And well, he was exactly right.
1: The rest of the Davis family bodies were exhumed in order to perform the analysis to support Gibbs' hypothesis. Shortly after, on December 6th, Jane was charged with the murder of all four Davises.
0: Her trial was scheduled for June of next year. In March 1902, though, Jane was deemed insane after her psychiatric evaluation. In her evaluation, she claimed that she had a sexual urge that could only be satiated by killing. She derived pleasure from killing her victims. It was in this evaluation that Jane also admitted that she had killed 11 people.
1: Her trial was very brief, lasting only 8 hours, with the jury needing 20 minutes to decide that Jane should be found not guilty by reason of insanity. She was coy at her arraignment, almost as if she was pleased with the final verdict.
0: And that, thrill-seekers, is one of the most interesting pieces to our story today. Jane had apparently confessed to her lawyer she had killed over 30 people, William Randolph Hearst typed Jane's confessional in which she said that she felt she had outsmarted people, made them think that she was clinically insane when she was not, and it made her happy to know that she had outwitted them. In the same confessional, Jane said, if I had been a married woman, I probably wouldn't have killed all those people. I would have had my husband and my children and my home to take up my mind.
1: So she's like the original incel. If you're unfamiliar with the term it's a combination of involuntary and celibate incel and it started as an innocent thing people just discussing their challenges finding a partner but it now occupies a much darker space on the web but anyway she's exhibiting the signs of an incel who feels that she is entitled to revenge just because she did not get the relationship love sex etc that she believed she deserved
0: that was the thought i had at the end as well there's a lot of discussion around if money and petty theft were really what she was after but I think she was just angry with the world for a situation and found pleasure in tormenting others.
1: Jane lived out the rest of her time at the Taunton Insane Hospital, where she eventually died in 1938.
0: Legend has it that Jane would occasionally call over her nurse, saying, Get some morphine, dearie, and we'll go out in the ward. You and I will have a lot of fun seeing them die. So that concludes this week's (laughs) hospital-themed thrill-seekers.
1: And next week, we're fleeing the wards for new adventures. Bye. Bye.